0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined by a special guest, Michael Roderick. He's from Small Pond Enterprises and Mini Projects. Michael, what's your elevator pitch?
1: Sure. So I help uh, thoughtful givers become thought leaders through the creation of referable brands. So I help you take your ideas, package them in such a way that people will talk about you when you're not in the room in a good way. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. What What's Thanks. in the DNA of a referable brand? Uh, like, I know that's a big question, but what's inside right. it?
1: Yeah. So the, the way I like to frame it is that basically to have a referral brand, you need three things. Uh, and there are three things that you have to focus on. It's easy to remember because it spells the word aim. Uh, so you want to think about taking aim when it comes to creating a referral brand. And that's accessibility, influence, and memory. Uh, So, from an accessibility standpoint, you want to think about how does somebody outside of your industry understand your idea? Because most people basically sort of live in what I call the echo chamber of the enlightened, where everybody's sort of saying the same thing and talking, using a lot of the same words. So, you want to think about like what is the way that somebody who's outside of your world would understand it? That's the first hurdle. Then, from an influence standpoint, the the thing that a lot of people get wrong about influence is it's often thought about from the angle of persuasion, sort of getting other people to do things. And what I've found is probably the, the most powerful aspect of influence is will people actually do things for you? Will they share your ideas? And what I've learned is that they'll share your ideas if it makes them look good. So a lot of the time we sort of focus on being like, hey, here's our cool, you know, here's my cool thing." Uh, do you want to share it? As opposed to here's something that's going to help you, that's going to make you look good. Do you want to share it? Uh, And then people sort of share that as a a result. And then uh, finally, memory. If we can't remember somebody else's material, then it is likely not going to be shared. And what I often like to say is it's not how well you tell the story. It's how easy it is for others to be able to retell the story. If you can't craft those uh, memory elements into your work, then you're gonna have a lot of challenges uh, with that. And I have a whole framework uh, that I get into, uh, I can get into around memory, but I'm giving you kind of the 30,000 foot view of those those three points right now.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Accessibility, like what is, I mean, I know every market is different on what they want and what they expect. We hear a lot of talk these days about authenticity and just, you know, mm-hmm. do you, be you. And that, and that seems to really work. But what does that mean? Like, how do we make ourselves more accessible to our markets, whether that's in fitness or business or health or relationships? I mean, the, all these markets have different preferences of like what they want to be guided by. Or, sure. or, or who they want to show up. And even the sub-niches within them could be completely different. How do we unlock accessibility?
1: Yeah, so, so a lot of the time, that's a great question. A lot of the time, what you're talking about are the variables of uh, all of the ways that we basically act on our core desires, right? So, so if we really just boil it down to absolute brass tacks, every single person has what I like to refer to as a TCM index, uh, an index of time, connections, and money. And there is a concern, whatever business you're in, whatever it is that you're working on around one of those three things or all three for different uh, for, for different types of people. So a lot of the time, if we're trying to get at the accessible part of our message, we really have to ask about how what we're doing is actually affecting those three things for the people that we work with. And then the other piece of it, uh, and I tell this to all early stage, like new entrepreneurs, you want your business to do at least one of these three things, or you'll be sad, S-A-D, and that's solve a problem, alleviate pain, or decrease friction. So if your business isn't at the very least solving a problem for somebody, getting rid of pain, or making something that's normally a five-step process, a three-step process, it's probably a nice to have as opposed to a need to have. And what you can do is then for yourself, you can ask, how am I solving a problem for my client in terms of time? And what that's going to do is it's going to just completely strip the jargon out of whatever your message is, because you're gonna be able to say, this particular tool saves you X number of hours, right? And it's gonna be very, very clear what it is you're actually doing for the client. So, So that's what I always go to. I always go to these core things and the variables are all across the board, but ultimately it comes down to time, connections, and money. And are you solving a problem, alleviating pain, Or decreasing friction in one of those
0: areas. What does connections mean? So connections has to do
1: with the aspect of your relationships that you either have, want to grow, or need. So in a business scenario, for some people, if they are struggling from a connection standpoint, it may mean that they're not meeting the people that they need to meet who could actually buy the service that they're interested in. that that they're interested in selling, right? They might be selling to the wrong market. Uh, It could also be, for some people, it's about actual connection and feeling like they have a community or that they have people around them. So there are people who will pay to be part of a community because that gives them something on the connection side. They feel a part of something. And that's valuable to people. People are willing to spend money on those types of on those types of things. So a lot of the time, we don't look, we look at the the variables that you were talking about, right, we get into the weeds of, you know, I help with conversion optimization on this particular, you know, website platform for these types of clients, and only those people in our industry get it, right. But then if you say, I send people to websites that, uh, and, I, and I structure it in such a way that they buy more stuff. Well, everybody gets that, right? Like, everybody's like, okay, well, tell me more. Like, how does that work? And then you can get into all those other uh, ter- you know, ter- terms that you already use. But people have to, at the very, very beginning, get that you're solving some kind of problem for them, getting rid of the pain, decreasing some friction. And it's going to likely be in their time, connections, or money.
0: And is money just more of it? More money?
1: It depends. Uh, yeah. for some people it is about more money, but for others, it's about the aspect of saving money, right? Uh, it can sometimes be about the concern of losing money, right? So if somebody's offering you a service that helps you not spend that much on a particular, you know, on a particular thing and you realize that you've been spending a ridiculous amount, you're gonna pay money for that service right so you don't end up in that particular scenario so there, there's lots of different ways that people will think about money in terms of that concern like and the natural sort of marketing message is like i want to make more money right but there are tons of people who also who they are not necessarily concerned with making more money they're concerned with keeping the money that they have or they're concerned with diversifying the investments that they're making and making their money work in different in different ways so there's a whole rabbit hole that you could really go down uh, if you were talking to somebody about what their concerns around money actually are.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Well, if we look at influence and making other people look good, like let's use an example of a somebody who's teaching some kind of business thing mm-hmm. to a certain niche of business people. How could that business coach make their clients look good? Sure. So ultimately,
1: uh, it comes down to a concept that I like to refer to as the magic trick. So every magician that you've uh, ever seen has at least one trick in their repertoire that they could literally show you exactly how it's done. So like they'll show you a bunch of really cool tricks, and you're like, I never knew how to do that. And then they'll show you like the how to pull the coin out of the ear, or how to make the card disappear behind your hand, or something super super simple. And then what's the natural thing that most people do? They then go out to a party and do that trick for others, right? And they're like, hey, look at me. I'm so cool. I made the card disappear. I pulled the coin out of there. I made the you know salt shaker you know go from one side of the room to the other, whatever it was, right? So the thing is, most of the time when we're thinking about our stuff as consultants, entrepreneurs, et cetera, we're trying to create something and be like, this is going to be, you know, this is so cool. I want you to share it as opposed to saying like, this is so useful. And if it's useful, we'll totally share it. So I was having a conversation with somebody in the travel industry, right? And travel industry is having, you know, a heck of a time right now with uh, everything that's everything that's going, going on. And regardless of Whenever this episode airs, the travel industry is probably still going to be hurting, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, they've got their challenges. So, so the thing is, uh, we were talking about the fact that actually other parts of the world, there are places where COVID has been completely eradicated for the most part. There are places that are opening up in a much more substantial way like Iceland
0: maybe did I hear Iceland's like that yeah
1: I think Iceland and uh is it New Zealand right yeah uh yeah yeah I think New Zealand's doing really well so like there are places that are uh less affected that if you were trying to do like a destination wedding or some sort of planning type thing it would be really useful for you to know where you could go
0: so that's a bright spot
1: exactly exactly and that's useful
0: Um, especially right now
1: yeah. yeah. So the thing is, if a consultant, like, let's say I was a travel consultant and I came up with a destination roadmap for you that helped you understand which parts of the world were less affected by COVID so that you could actually plan out your, your calendar, you would share that guide with everybody, right? Yeah, because you look really cool for having that, right? So most of the time, we that's what we have to think about. We have to think about what is this cool thing that I could give somebody to do on their own that then they do it and their friends ask, where did you learn that? Or where did you do that? And then that refers back to us and that's what creates this level of influence.
0: And that's how you become the guy or the gal or whatever, right? Like, oh, this exactly. is the, this is like the travel bright spots guy or gal. Yep. What do people do wrong when it comes to actively trying to cultivate influence? So
1: I think uh, a lot of the time what they do wrong is that they they spend too much time trying to prove their value, right? So a lot of the time they're, they're trying to tell us all the things that they've done or like, uh, you know, I can't tell you the number of free books that I've read that the first 15 or 20 pages are literally just bragging and then somebody saying like i this is how to work with me before they get to the actual content that we need right so a lot of the time that's going to turn people off because we don't want you to tell us how good you are we want you to show us how good you are right so i think that a lot of the time when people are creating opt-ins when they're creating uh even course content and material they're thinking how do i impress people as opposed to how do I help them solve a problem? Like, how do I make sure that they're doing something on their own, as opposed to this environment in which I'm doing it all for you? It's like a good teacher doesn't sit there at the front of the room and say, here's all the knowledge, you know, go away, my little minions, and, and do. You know, a good teacher says, here are the ideas, go off and do the work and come back to me with your questions and your concepts and let's build something together. And I think that influence is about this aspect of building something together. We trust somebody who's helping us become better. We we have questions about somebody who is basically seeming at least to be in it for themselves or just sort of telling us that we should follow them or that we should listen, you know, listen to them. And we're seeing a lot of that, Uh, emperor's new clothes kind of stuff in the whole influencer space because we've had instances where people have millions of followers or or even you know a billion followers and those people aren't actually buying things from them right (laughs) like like they're you know so you don't actually have influence so so i think we're heading into a time where that's going to be called into question more. It's not going to just be about how many people. It's going to be about how active are those people and are they willing to do something for you? And they're only going to be willing to do something for you if what you give them is useful enough that they want to show it to their friends because it makes them look good.
0: So how do we leave the memory imprint where somebody can retell our story or a sure. story about some training we do or something.
1: Yeah. So the way that I like to frame it is if you want people to remember you more, focus on less. That's L-E-S-S. And that's language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. So I'll start with language. Language is often a challenge, a challenge for people because we tend to just grab what other people have said and sort of slap our names on it because naming something is hard, right? So to come up with a name for something is a mental exercise. Like it takes time to come up with a name for something. So you want to make that even harder than just coming up with a name for your course. Try coming up with a word for what it is that you do. Try coming up with a name for a process that you're trying to teach people. Try coming up with another way to say something that everybody else has already said. And the way I like to think about this is if you go all the way back to Shakespeare, Christopher Marlowe and Shakespeare were writing at the exact same time. But most of us study Shakespeare. Very few of us are reading any Marlowe uh, in high school. And the reason is that Shakespeare added new words to the English language. We have words in the dictionary that are there because Shakespeare created them. So if you think about it, those new words, that language became part of the lexicon as people were sharing information and thinking about ideas, and it was always being referred back to Shakespeare. It was not being referred back to any of the other writers at the time because those writers weren't coming up with their own words. And we see it again and again and again. There were tons of sci-fi things, but there is only one person you're going to think of when I say use the force. There is only one name that is going to go into your head, right? And there is only one name you're going to think of when I say the word muggle. And, and it goes on and on and on, right? So as creators of content, as people who are building thought leadership, if we do the hard work of coming up with our own names for things, our own language for things, we're going to have more people talk about us. We're going to have more people reach out to us, right? So if I just said that I was a branding expert, nobody would care. Because there are hundreds, if not thousands of branding experts and nobody knows what branding means, right? Everybody's got a different definition of branding. But when I say that I focus on referable brands, it's super clear what I'm talking about. I am talking about referability, right? I am talking about the fact that people are talking about you, that that is coming back to you. So it's super, super clear, but it's my language. And as a result, it always circles back to me. I don't ever have to worry about brand confusion, right? Nobody is going to mix me up with another brand expert because I use the words referable brands.
0: Make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. It reminds me of uh, Tim Ferriss, actually, the whole life, lifestyle design thing. He had a bunch of yep. language in there. I was like, why did that guy's book take off so much? But it had a yep. lot of that new exactly. names for things.
1: Yeah. And once people like like a cool new name, they're just going to keep using it. And then everybody's going to be like, well, where did you learn that? And what are they going to do? They're going to refer back to that person's book. They're going to refer back to that person's content. They're going to refer back to that person's material, right? So coming up with your own language for things, and especially language that harkens to something else that's recognizable, right? That's easy for people to, you know, easier for people to think about. If there's an anchor there, it's going to be even easier. Right. So if I'm saying something that reminds you of something else, there's a very good chance that you're going to remember it easier than if I just come up with like the most random word in the world. Right. So if I take two words that you normally wouldn't expect to be together and I put them together, they become something new, but I'm using two familiar words
0: like lifestyle and design. Bingo. Or he did like the muse business or whatever. There are all these like phrases.
1: Exactly, where those things were pieced together. What I often tell uh, people when they're trying to create names for things is one of the best things that you can do is an exercise uh, called uh, container versus contents. So there are tons and tons of what I like to refer to as container words in the world, where basically they're words that everybody uses, everybody deals with them, et cetera. And we see them over and over again, leadership, uh, strategy, branding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you open up that container, you're gonna see what's inside and those are the contents, right? So you have words that you already think of when you think of those particular words and those words are tied to things that you've experienced in your own life. They're tied to ideas that you have. So what you do is you take those container words, you open them up, you find the contents, and you just start writing all the random words and you're like, if I couldn't use this word, which words would I use? And you write down all of those different words and then you have basically a word sandbox, right? So you got your word sandbox, and now all you got to do is play mad libs to come up with your titles for things, right? You just start mashing those words together and seeing like what sounds interesting. And if you do that enough, you'll start to do it more often in everything that you're doing in your content. You'll start to see the world in that way. So you'll notice something, you'll be like, oh, well, that's interesting. But what if I change this word or I put or I took this letter off, right? Like you just add like these little things and these little shifts sometimes can completely change the way that somebody views something or thinks about something. Uh, My favorite story about that is hair club for men, right? Where when, you know, in essence, what you were getting was a toupee, right? Like of your own hair, like at the, at the brass tacks, like that's what you were getting. But if they told you we're selling a toupee, you wouldn't spend any money. But when they called it the hair club for men and they called it their strand by strand method, you're thinking of this, like, you know, very exclusive, very important thing when really they were just making a toupee out of your hair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, what about the emotion part? Like, how does that, I mean, does a hair club for men have the emotion part in it?
1: Yeah. Uh, because basically, uh, emotion solidifies memory, right? So, if you can trigger an emotion, what you're going to do is whatever you're talking about during that time is likely going to be embedded in the person's memory because they're going to have, they're going to remember a moment that also is similar to that emotion, right? So, for example, let's say I was writing an article and I told a story about going to a funeral and I gave you all the details and it was really, really intense then what's going to happen is whoever's reading it is going to have their own flashback to whatever moment. And even people listening to this right now, the fact that I said the word funeral triggered a memory in their brain. And they've thought about some funeral somewhere, like somewhere in their, you know, in their world. So now what's happening is the emotions are heightened, which means the absorption of the idea is going to be that much more powerful. So this is why like with uh, very, very emotional movies, you can remember the exact phrases and taglines and moments in those movies, right? So for all those folks who, you know, basically weeped over Titanic, um, you know, if you say I'll never let go, they're going to know exactly, like they're going to recall the exact image of what happened with I'll never let go. Right? So you can do that with your own content if you tap into your own emotion. If you think of an emotional moment for you and you describe that, and then you talk about how this you know, thing ties to your lesson, whatever it is that you're teaching, people are going to relive the emotion. They're going to have that experience. And then they're going to be like, oh my God, I you know I, I remember this particular thing. So going back to your question about the the hair club for men, basically... There were tons of testimonials in those infomercials about the shame and embarrassment that, you know, this guy felt when he took his hat off and he was bald, right? This, you know, kids, you know, uh, this guy's kid poking his bald head, like all these things, right? So all these men who are watching are having that emotional moment and saying, oh, man, I remember when somebody called me baldy. Or I remember when that girl that I hit on basically said, you know, started laughing because I didn't have a full head of hair and they'll, the, everything will come up in their head. So then what do they start to think about? They think about the solution. They think about the hair club for men. So the emotional part of that basically helps solidify that product in their memory. And this has been across, this has been across the board. Like if you look at anything in popular culture That has really taken off, there is likely an emotional trigger behind it that caused everybody to sort of have that same feeling. Uh, One of my favorite examples is uh, Stranger Things, right? Stranger Things uh, basically taps into what it was like to be a kid and what it was like to be a kid during that like E.T., Steven Spielberg magical, magical time. So you're basically reliving moments of your childhood. And if you were already, you know, if you're at a certain age where you remember, you know, riding your bike and, and, you know, pretending to build forts and like all of these different types of things, you're following along on this particular journey. So you are going to remember that show and then you're going to go to your friends and you're going to tell them, you've got to see this, you know, you've got to see this show. There's, you know, all these other you know, elements that, that are at play. Is because it it basically ties to this concept of emotion.
0: Is there any difference between positive or negative emotions? Like, I mean, like fear, sadness, like funeral stuff versus like elation, happy, or it just doesn't matter, just any emotion?
1: That's a great question. I think that uh, it really depends on the individual, right? So like, if you are more of the person who cries at, you know, a movie, or if they're like, if you are more sort of leaning towards the like having a real emotion when like that's, that's uh, in those types of things, I think you're going to be affected more by the sad stuff. Like it's just going to probably hit you harder. Um, But if you're not that type, right. uh, It's possible that something comedic could keep it in your head. Right. And perfect example is all of, we can recall lots of funny uh, commercials. Yeah. Right. And if you think about it, the emotion that we felt was laughter. Right. So I always go to the Geico um, commercial where boys to men are singing about, you know, incontinence and flatulence in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the pharmacy. Right. Because I laughed hysterically, you know, at that because I watched boys to men when I was a kid. Right. I like I watch boys to men and I listened to those songs. So having them sing about flatulence instead of making love to you that like, you know, stuck in my head, right? It instantly creates this, uh, this recall. So I think to, uh, to answer your question, I think if you are more geared towards sort of the the more intense emotions, if you are the type to cry, then it may basically solidify faster for you, or you may remember the stuff more. But I do think across the board, if you're feeling some kind of sense of heightened emotion, you are much more likely to remember the content
0: what about the simplicity part yeah so simplicity
1: is a really interesting one i I like to refer to this as the pile of apples versus the bag right so if i told you here are the 27 points uh to how to create a referable brand uh everybody would stop listening to this episode by about like you know number five or number six right because if you think about it the brain can only hold so much information so the metaphor that I used the pile of apples is if I handed you a pile of apples and I basically said, take this pile of apples, there's 15, 20 of them, carry them across the room. Then you are likely to drop an apple because they're all over the place and you're trying to sort of hold them and you're trying to sort of keep them in your arms. But if I said, here's a pile of apples and here's a bag to hold them in, you can walk across the room and never worry about that. And our brains are the same way. So we can't hold everything in our brains that is that is coming up. We can only hold certain things. So if we give people a simple way of understanding it, then they'll retain the information. But if we make the information way too complex, they will not retain the information. And, and the way that I, I like to think about this is think about academics, right? So academics reward complexity. So if you were in school And you wrote a very, very complex paper, and you had all of these big words as part of that paper, then you were considered the smart kid and you got the good grade, right? Because it was so hard to understand you. You must have been a genius. But the memory rewards simplicity. So we remember the simple stuff, we do not remember these super complex things. Like we have to always go back to our notes. To figure out those super, super complex things. So when you're creating your content, you've got to ask yourself, am I making sure that this is simple enough for somebody to share? And the example that I like to use is uh, there are tons and tons of TED Talks out there on the topic of leadership. But there's one TED Talk that gets shared all the time that is very, very popular and uh, basically, has become sort of the the main talk that most people talk about in leadership. And you can probably guess which one I'm going to set. Like most is people, you usually it, guess it.
0: Is it "Leaders <laughs> Eat Last" by Simon Sinek? Uh, very
1: very close. It's the it's the first one that he did, which is good. Uh, it's it's considered the start with why talk, but it's got a, a it's got a very verbose title. the Golden enough.
0: Circle and everything. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah.
1: And the thing is, right. So that's why good.
0: that went viral. Cause it's, and I shared I mean, the heck out of that thing. I remember when yep. I first saw it, I'm like, y'all got to see this. Like we're yep. doing it wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because everybody can draw a circle and look smart in front of their friends. Yeah. Like there is, there is nothing complex about explaining that particular principle, but it's a complex principle that he made simple. Right. So the thing is like there's a lot of there's a lot of information there but what he did was he packaged it in such a way that other people would share it and like you said you shared it because you wanted to be like hey everybody I found this cool thing right hey everybody this is like how we need to think about things now so so a lot of the time it's that simplicity that causes us to want to share it because it's easy right it's easy to share if it's hard to share if it feels too complex we have a concern about messing it up, right? So if I, if I were to tell you a story and it was a very, very complex story, I would be worried about getting the story right. But if I were to tell you a joke, I would need to remember the punchline and I would need to remember the setup. And it wouldn't really matter if I got all of the details correct. As long as I got the, the setup and the punchline somewhat fine, you would laugh at the joke right so so the thing is our brains that's how that's how we work we need simplicity in order to process a lot of the time so if we're going to share something we're going to talk about it we're going to remember it we're going to remember the simple thing we're not going to remember the super complex thing we're going to remember like the basic brass tacks thing that somebody said we're going to remember the funny quote we're going to remember the 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 one-liner we're going to remember the venn diagram that somebody showed us because that's simple. All the complex stuff is gonna go out the window um, if, we're, if we're talking about the idea of just sort of sharing
0: the, uh, the concept. Is the structure just Simon's circles? <laughs> and, and the Venn diagram and stuff? Is that what you mean by structure? So what I mean by
1: structure is, is logic, right? So like basically we don't read a book by starting in the middle and then jumping to the front and then jumping to the back and then bouncing all around, right? We read a book by starting with whatever the thesis is and we sort of go through the particular process of of the thesis. So a lot of the time we forget about that when it comes to creating our own content, right? Like we don't think about, is there a structure here? And whether that be like, is it a story? Is there a step one, a step two, a step three? Is there a logical progression? So this entire conversation follows a structure because if I started by talking about memory, it wouldn't really land in the same way, right? Because we can talk about how to make your stuff, how to make your stuff memorable, but why would we then talk about making it influential, right? It doesn't, it doesn't follow and then getting to accessibility it doesn't follow. But if we start at accessibility, which is sort of the natural concern of like, can I get people to get it? Then can I get people to share it? And then if I can get people to share it, can I make sure that they remember it? It's a logical progression. So a lot of the time, structure is far more important than we give it credit for in terms of people remembering material. And if we say this is the logical structure, or this is the way it works, then people will remember it easier, right? It's why we create lists. We don't we we don't just like randomly write on like different parts of paper. It's like here's all these five things I need to do. We write one, two, three, four, five because our brains crave that structure. We need to know I do this first, I do this second, I do this third, I do this fourth. So if we're even talking about sort of from a course you know creation standpoint, you are probably not going to be like, hey, here's the last module of the course and here's module number uh, number two. And oh, by the way, here's module number seven. No, you're going to start at the beginning, of the baseline stuff, and you're going to take people through a process to re- achieve a certain outcome.
0: So that structure is really part of your brand. It's not just uh, part of curriculum design. It's if you nail it right.
1: Exactly, exactly. and And that's the thing, like, you know, a lot of the time, the issue that I see is that we don't take the time for these things that seem insignificant, you know, in, in, in many, many cases. So when I was when I was student teaching, uh, I uh, was also directing a show for uh, for for my, like, senior year, right? So I was in the middle of not only student teaching, but also directing. I was working on all these different types of things. And as a result, my uh, my grading got really backed up, right? So I ended up with, like, this pile of papers to grade. And uh, my cooperating teacher said to me something that has always stuck with me, where she says, you know, a lot of people tell you, don't sweat the small stuff, but I got to be honest, you've got to sweat the small stuff. <laughs> and a lot of the time it's you know it ends up as you're looking at messaging and as you're looking at at your content like you do have to sweat the small stuff you do have to ask yourself like am i making sure that people can remember this am i structuring this well you know is this something that people are going to share you know before you try to come up with all the like you know Oh, this is the model that I'm going to use, and these are the new ideas, and like all this other stuff. You got to ask first: like, can will people understand it, and will they be able to share it? So it's those it's it's those nuts and bolts things that end up becoming very, very important. Uh, and a lot of the time, people forget about that.
0: Wow what's a What's an example? What's another example of like a really referable brand? Let's say in the entrepreneur space.
1: Okay, so. Probably uh, in I would say if you're dealing with entrepreneurs and you're dealing with um you're dealing with something that would be instantly recognizable amongst that amongst that community probably something like Ask Method okay right and and the core you know thing about it if you think about it is you're able to you're you're able to sort of see the process, right? Like it's a logical, it's it's a logical structure. It's memorable. The emotional piece is in there because you have the entrepreneur's story of how they were struggling and now, they you know, and this this method helped them sort of solve that particular issue. But it's super super easy, right? Uh, and going back to uh, just popular culture, right? Um, Amazon starts with an A. So what shows up all the time in searches, and what showed up before Amazon became Amazon, right? Yeah. Think about think about sort of that you know that level of that level of logic, right? So for a lot of people in the sort of entrepreneurial space, that one's going to come up pretty quickly, especially if you're dealing with like course creation and and, and digital and digital products, because a it's it's the first a,
0: yeah. Right.
1: And and b it breaks down a very, you know, simple process, you know, uh, and brings something to the industry that the industry had not necessarily thought about before. Right. So market research has been around forever. Right. But it wasn't in this course creation space and it wasn't in the form of quizzes, right? Like that, that side of it just didn't, you know, didn't happen. So it was, you have something that ended up being really easy for people to kind of remember and look at. Uh, And that's the one that sort of immediately like, when I think about like what has been out there quite a bit uh, and folks have looked at, um, but you know, another one that is um, that is very popular that is easy to recall is product launch formula. And it's basically think about it. We remember things a lot of the time because we're able to abbreviate them. So how many people are running around saying PLF? A lot. Right. So it's like, it's that, it's that type of thing. And it's like, even if you think about something like, you know, as, as basic as soda, right. It's much easier to say Coke than it is to say Pepsi. Right. Like it's just like, it's a simple, like it's Coke is like a nickname. Pepsi is a whole, it's a whole other syllable. So like there, you know, there's this aspect of if it's not easy to share, if it's not something that's like it's just simple to to put out there, we're gonna we're gonna table it for something that's simpler.
0: That's cool. And Ryan Levesque has been on this show. If you're listening and you'd like to check out the Ask Method and his new Choose uh, Method, uh, go look for Ryan Levesque on the podcast. What in your story, Michael, um, got you so into like? how the mind works and all the how society and relationships work. Where did this come from? Sure.
1: So I um, went from being a high school English teacher uh, to becoming a Broadway producer in under two years. Uh, And uh, a lot of people were very curious as to like how I was getting into a lot of these rooms, right? Like how it was all working. So I was getting my master's at the time in educational theater from NYU. And educational theater is all about bringing theatrical uh, techniques to the world of teaching. So basically you have kids act out vocabulary and you have them, you know, create uh, monologues from readings and things like that. So it's it's incorporating theater. And one of the things that we learned was about simulations and how if you get people to act out a scenario, very, very often, even though they're acting, they, 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 do what they would normally do in real life for the most part right so what i did was i started hosting workshops where i would simulate networking experiences so i actually had people act out one-on-one meetings job interviews and cocktail parties so i had them perform as if they were that person stuck in the corner at a party or the person who's like nervous about a job interview or whatever and when I watched all these people doing these things, I saw a lot of patterns and patterns are always the precursor for frameworks, right? So when I noticed these patterns in terms of how people interacted, I started to say, okay, based on these patterns, I think that this concept overall is something that I could go with. So I started teaching those concepts. So I started teaching these relationship building concepts where I would sort of help people understand why Others would say yes to them versus say no to them. And I really got into the psychology of the whole thing. Uh, did a lot of reading on that, you know, that side of things. Uh, but what ended up happening was people kept coming to me and saying, I still remember that thing that you taught me three years ago. So I kind of had this moment where I was like, okay, I understand the relationship building piece is really important and getting into the room is really important, but it doesn't really matter if nobody will let you stay there so what i realized was you have to craft your message in this referable way in order to achieve that level of interest from people right because most people think about things from the standpoint of access they think like how do i get access to people how do i get you know somebody to listen to me get my foot in the door but It's actually not about access, it's about interest. Like you want them to be so interested in whatever it is that you're creating, hanging on your every word that they seek you out. And if you package your stuff in such a way that people are talking about you and they're talking about your ideas and they're sharing your concepts, then what happens is everybody asks like, well, where did you learn that from? So for me, that's what I noticed. I was teaching one of my networking workshops and I took about 15 minutes And I just said, guys, I'm going to throw out this idea. And I think that there's something to it uh, where I think that I've gotten in a lot of the rooms that I've gotten into because I've come up with these really interesting anachronisms and I've come up with these like fun phrases or ways to say things. uh, And I think it sends business your way. And it was literally like 15 minutes. I kind of covered this. And at the end of that workshop, Everybody who was up for a hot seat asked to have their hot seat be on referable brands. So when I saw that, I said, okay, this is the thing uh, that people want to learn. This is the thing that's most interesting. And that's what really brought me into saying, okay, well, I've built all these relationship building frameworks. I need to build one around referable brand. And that's where Taking Aim came from. And that's how I started sort of looking at this concept of like, how do we become referable? How do we start to take up that like real estate uh, in people's minds? And, you know, where do we go? Where do we go from there?
0: So if the listener, you out there was uh, in a hot seat with you, what would be what would go down? How would you help (laughs) tease out this referable brand and clarity on that?
1: Yeah. So often what I would do is I would I would ask them to tell me what they do in their own words. Uh, and what would happen is they would word vomit. Uh, they would have like probably some tagline, right. Um, and most of the time I'd say, okay, uh, fine. Uh, what else? Right. And I would just let them talk usually for a couple of minutes. And most of the time what'll happen is when people feel uncomfortable, they'll just keep talking. Right. So like, if you, if you just say like, you know, here's the question, just like, keep going. They'll just keep going. So I let them go for a while. And what I do is I write down any word that I hear or any concept that I hear that actually gets my attention. And I treat it the same way that like when I used to raise money for Broadway shows, it was the same thing. Like I would literally sit in the audience and ask myself, did I care? Right? Like, so if like suddenly I was like watching a show and I was like, oh my God, I care. That's so interesting. I want to pay attention to that. Then I knew that there was something there. But if I was sitting there and being like, I don't really care, like, what are these people doing? Like, I knew that it wasn't a fit. So if I was listening to somebody in a hot seat scenario, they're going to say a bunch of stuff that I don't care about. They're going to say a bunch of stuff that's like, that's not interesting. That has nothing to do with solving somebody's problem, you know, any of those types of things. And then they're going to say something, usually a throwaway thing. And then I'm going to ask them, so I'm just curious, have you ever used that phrase before in your marketing? And they're going to be like, no, no. Right. Because to them, it seems simple. It seems like it seems too simple a lot of the time. And I can't tell you the number of times it's been, they've had this side thing. Like I often say it's like a lot of the time your side dish becomes your main, right? So a lot of the time you end up in this scenario where it's like this thing that you throw away or this tagline, this thing that you say that like you don't really care about becomes the thing that everybody wants. And the thing that you've slaved on forever becomes the thing that nobody really cares about. Right. Uh, So a lot of the time, it's just sort of like, unload all of that, let's find the words. And then we dig deeper and start to say like, okay, now that I've got this handle on what's interesting, and if you're interested in using that language, well, let's explore how that language ties to your offer. And let's make sure that that language that you're using is actually congruent with the offer that you've got for people and what you're really selling. A lot of the time, we think that we're selling people one thing, and we're actually selling them something completely different. Uh, and a lot of the time we're just too close to our own, to our own stuff. It's like we, uh, the, there are colored pixels on the TV and we're, our face is pressed up against the screen. So all we're seeing are colored pixels. So we need somebody in back of us to basically be like, what's on, let us know what's on TV. And then most importantly, let us know if we need to change the channel.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks. Um, How about the, uh, the intersection of the personal and the corporate brand or the business brand? Like, yeah, which one is it or is it both or, or for like, uh, for specifically for somebody building a training platform online as kind of an expert in something. Yep. Are they building a personal brand or are they building, you know, the equivalent of product launch formula like Jeff, Jeff Walker and product launch formula, which one's the referable brand?
1: Yeah. So in Jeff's case, it's it's probably product launch formula um, because that's the you know that's that's the thing that gets shared more than his name. Obviously, over the years he's become more well known, so it's kind of changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, but if you think about it, people weren't saying, "I want to go to a Jeff Walker event." I'm going to a Jeff Walker mastermind. I'm you know it was it was I'm you know I'm reading Product Launch Formula right? Like most of the time uh, it it was that, right? And ultimately it's up to us how we want to do it, right? So like there's a a choice that you make uh, where you decide like, am I going to be the wizard or am I going to be the person behind the curtain? So if you make the decision to be the wizard, you are engaging what I like to refer to as the Faustian bargain of the personal brand because everything's going to be built on you. So if you decide that you're the wizard and it's gonna be your name and you want people to know you and you want to be famous in that particular context, then you get all of the extra crap that comes with becoming a celebrity, right? So you're making a choice if you decide that that's like what you want, right? that that you want to be known for you. And everything that you do is now up on the up on the radar, right? uh and uh, tim ferriss even wrote about this right where it's yeah. like you know his personal brand got so big that he had people stalking him and and you know he had all these challenges right and like there there are lots of instances where people go through that if they decide that they're going to be the wizard right and if they decide like i want personal brand to be the front runner if you decide to be the person behind the curtain then what you do is you put the focus on your ideas and your concepts and your frameworks and you leave yourself kind of out of the mix, right? And what tends to happen a lot of the time with those people is that people then kind of seek out the wizard, the wizard right? They're like, yeah. like, who is the person behind all of this? I need to know who that person, you know, who that person is. But it's a personal choice of what you want to put out into the world, and it can change, right? So when I was, when I was teaching high school and running a theater company, I was the guy who ran Small Pond Entertainment, right? Like I was the artistic director of that company. That's how people knew me. But then as a Broadway producer, I was Michael Roderick, right? Like it didn't matter that I ran Small Pond Entertainment. It didn't matter that I had that, you know, that entertainment company. It was, I was the producer and that was my, that was my name. And then it was, I was, you know, the guy who ran small pond enterprises when I started all the consulting work and I was doing all, you know, all the stuff there. And eventually it turned into my name ended up becoming out there, you know, going, going out there more. And now that I'm talking about referable brand, there's way more focus on referable brand and people are reaching out to me from a referable brand standpoint. And I'm not on all of the platforms, you know, showing you what I've had for dinner or like, you know, uh, taking, you know, I've got a, <laughs> I mean, I've got a three, three and a half year old and a seven month old. So it's not like, I'm you know, uh, you know, living the, living the laptop lifestyle on some beach somewhere. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Right. So I'm not going to be the one to, you know, showcase everything that's going on in my life right now. Uh, because I don't have the time and, and who wants to, you know, watch 30 hours of, of me live streaming Coca-Melon to you, you know, like, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> this is like not going to happen. Um, so I you know, I think that that's the thing that you have to think about. You have to ask yourself, like, which of these directions do I want to go? Do I want to go wizard or do I want to go uh, man or woman uh, behind the curtain?
0: Well said. That's Michael Roderick from Small Pond Enterprises. And before we leave, could you just tell us how to best find you on the Internet? And also, if you could real quick take us through that container contents exercise, if somebody's in teaching leadership or they're teaching dating or they're teaching some health and fitness thing, um, just take us through that exercise one more time and let us know how sure. to find you.
1: Sure. Sure. Sounds good. Um, so let's say, um, let's say they're uh, health and fitness. Right. Uh, and normally like, you know, wellness is your container word. Right. But inside of wellness, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of very very specific things that are uh, that are happening. So let's say uh, from a wellness standpoint, you are somebody who has managed to uh, really just become like really really built uh, in a very very short period of time, right? So like you've you've just like you've you've done it over the course of like a couple of months, and people are like, how the heck did you? you know, how the heck did you build this much muscle or or whatever the or whatever the scenario is, right? So you're likely not going to use words that are soft and wellnessy if you're trying to sell people on the fact that you're going to help them build muscle, right? So you're probably going to have some like,
0: seven minute abs or whatever. Right.
1: Exactly. Builder buster, you know, kind of, you know, crazy, you know, type of thing. Right. And then you're going to think about all the words that tie to who you are. Right. So let's just say, for example, um, you are uh, like, you know, your background is that you were uh, a gymnast. Right. So you're you might call your program like the you know the the rings of gold or something you know bodybuilder blast program or something like it'll it'll tie to who you are and it's going to be your language it's going to be your words it's not going to be somebody else's it's not going to be somebody else's phrase or or somebody else's idea um you know so it's like i could talk you know so uh, another example um just of my own right is that i could tell you that, um, when people reach out to you and they want, uh, and, and they, they want something, uh, that you should find ways to, um, basically give them something to do in order to not end up having to take that call right away. Right. And that would be basic advice. But the second that I turn it into, have you ever read the book, give a mouse a cookie? And most parents have, right? have not So it's that like, one. if, So if you get the the concept of the book is if you give a mouse a cookie, he'll ask for a glass of milk. If he asks for a glass of milk, it's going to make him tired. He's going to want to sleep in your bed. If you let him sleep in your bed, he's going to sleep in your bed. He's going to want a cookie again and the whole cycle is going (laughs) to start. So for a lot of people who are popular, when people reach out, they're give a mouse a cookie people where it's like, if you tell them, yes, I'll meet with you, then they're going to tear, like they're going to ask you for all sorts of different types of things, et cetera. But literally, if you say, yeah, I would be happy to meet with you. Could you just write uh, a small description of what it is that you want to talk about? 90% of people will leave <laughs> because they don't want to do any of the work. Right. So you can figure out which people are the give a mouse a cookie people. Right. And which people are, are really clients. Uh, so now you see, like, I just gave you two scenarios. Right. But one was total container words and one was content.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, how can the good people find you, Michael?
1: Sure, sure. Um, so I'm all over the socials. Um, so um, uh, on the web, I'm just at smallpondenterprises.com. Um, but I uh, am also on uh, the Book of Faces as Mike Roderick, as opposed to Michael. And the reason for that is that my Michael Roderick account got hacked. Uh, <laughs> so I ended up in the scenario where I had to like actually create a whole other account Um, But yeah, if you look me up, uh, I'm on the Book of Faces uh, and LinkedIn, Twitter, all those types of uh, all those types of places. Um, So you can always just feel free to reach out and, you know, happy to be helpful in any way you can.
0: Awesome. Well, Michael, thanks for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us today. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. This was an absolute blast.
0: And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.